Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. And I want to share a verse that has fed me for these many, many decades. It's in Psalm number 90. Psalm number 90. The whole psalm is is well worth reading in that it's a psalm of Moses. It's, um, you know, David wrote so many, we seem tend to think that he wrote them all, but Moses wrote this psalm. He wrote it at the end of their 40 years of wandering in the desert. And he says in verse 14, Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. I, I could read more, but that's enough for us to get into this. It's, it's a cry, it's a longing, so that it's prefaced by that, oh, oh, it's, it's the heart longing and saying, satisfy us early. And it says then, with your mercy... I have said often before that um, I, I'm reading from the New King James Version and, and translates that Hebrew word mer- as mercy, and that is that evokes too many um, limited ideas of what this word means. And later versions translate it loving kindness, the word of the covenant. So satisfy us early with your loving kindness that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Moses is praying this prayer for the new generation, that old generation. You remember at Kadesh Barnea, 40 years before, had refused to go into the land of Canaan. They refused to trust that God who swore to give them the land, that they were afraid that he would renege and leave them to be the victims of the demonized giants that were there. And so they turned around, went into the desert, wandered for 40 years, and now they're all gone. They're all dead. And it's those children that are now young persons and rising new leaders. And Moses prays this prayer, Psalm 90. He prays it that this new generation will come to know the loving kindness of God. They shall know that loving kindness resulting in rejoice and joy, gladness of heart. Well, what had been wrong with those others, those that fell in the wilderness after 
refusing God's gift. What was wrong with them? Uh, Psalm 103 puts it very succinctly that they, they saw the acts of God, the doings of God, but they didn't know the ways of God. It says, he showed his acts to Israel, but his ways to Moses, the acts of God, the acts, you know, what he did, everything he did in Egypt, everything he did in delivering them from Egypt, they, they saw it and were blown away by it, the miraculous, the God who was acting on their behalf. But Moses did more than that. He knew who God truly is. Very different. Not merely watching what he's doing, but knowing who he is and why then he is doing what he's doing. You follow me? It's because of the the character of God. It's because of his being, who he is, that he acts in a certain way. There's a why, there's a reason. And so you could put it that faith, real faith, is not birthed in seeing God's actions. Uh, think about that. There are many people that said if they could see XYZ, if they could see someone raised from the dead or whatever, then they would believe. No, you wouldn't. That, that's, that's a fiction of the human mind. No, faith does not arise from seeing what God does. I mean, the, these persons that we're talking about, uh, they had seen with their own eyes the ten plagues that had brought down the, the tyrant Pharaoh. They had seen, I mean, they, they, they had walked across the uh, Red Sea uh, when, when the walls of water stood on either side and they walked through the Red Sea dry. Uh, they saw that, and they saw Egyptians drowned in that same sea as they tried to follow them. They, they had picked up the manna day after day, God's food provision. They had watched as water flowed out of the rock. Oh, yes, they, they had seen wonder upon wonder. Didn't produce faith, though, uh, I say it again, seeing God's actions does not produce faith. Faith arises from knowing who God is, knowing this incredible God as he's revealed himself to us. And in so doing, we come to the why behind his actions. And that's the difference. Moses had been drawn to know God right from the burning bush. You remember when the Lord appears to him in the burning bush, and, and Moses' questions was, what is your name? Which would be saying in more modern language, who are you? Tell me your essence. Tell me who you truly are. That was Moses' question, and he received somewhat of an answer there at the burning bush, enough to get him started anyway. But it, it wouldn't. Sh he couldn't shake it off. He he is. Uh, all he wants to do is get inside the 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 wonder of God and know who he truly is. And so you remember at Mount Sinai, uh, as he had been on the mount with God, the question 
um, of Moses again was, show me your glory. That is, show me the radiance of your being. Show me who you truly are. You told me your name, which is a doorway into your person, but show me your glory. Show me your, your very essence, your beauty. And so the Lord did, and the glory of God passed by Moses, you remember. And as it did so, the, the glory, the presence of God announced who he is and said that he is goodness and his loving kindness. Um, other things too, but specifically there, the goodness. He said, that's who I am. God says, I am, my very essence is goodness and is loving kindness. And that so gripped a hold on Moses that he says it here at the end of the 40 years in the desert. I reveal to us, satisfy us with your loving kindness. There, the, the beating heart of God, this is who he is. If you don't know this, you don't know God. This is who he is, his loving kindness. Well, what is loving kindness? Loving kindness is uh, a very difficult word to translate into English, or in fact, any modern language, because it is rooted it is part of covenant, which is something our Western world knows nothing of. It, it threw it overboard a long time ago. And, and so we, we have to understand a word that we don't understand, practically speaking, in our society, of its roots. Covenant. Covenant. And out of covenant comes the word loving-kindness. Covenant. We, we have um, substituted the word covenant for contract or a transaction. See, a contract demands two persons who have entered into contract. And those two persons sort of are watching each other, not, not trusting, watching, and, and they're trying to protect themselves, and so they put a contract between them. And in the contract it is stating if, if you do this, then I will do that. That is, if, if you complete this electrical job that you say you can do, then I will pay you. But if you can't and don't complete this job, I won't pay you. And if you uh, do me harm in attempting this, then I'll sue you. It's, it's a protective thing because there's no trust involved. Contract. It, it, it is, if you did this, then I would do that. Whereas covenant is the total giving of oneself to the other. Total giving. You, you could say, um, instead of if, then, it would be because, therefore. Because I love you and give myself to you totally, therefore, all of these blessings are yours. Totally different. 
and a covenant was sealed with blood and in that momentous action of two parties giving themselves to each other then loving kindness came into being loving kindness is how two covenant persons who are in covenant with each other would treat each other and fulfill the covenant day after day after day and so it's the covenant in the mundane of the daily grind it's how this giving of oneself to another of living in the other's love what does that look like when I'm in my family and in my work and so on and so I say again we, we, we're not we don't know much about that and when we use the word love it arises more from the ideas of contract contract you could say originated at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is if you do good and avoid evil then I will do good back to you but if you do evil then I'll do evil back to you and and it's it's all of that um, and when we say love it, it's very difficult to communicate the very heart of God's love which is loving kindness this covenant word see let, let, let me stop for a minute because sometimes to know what something isn't uh, helps us understand what it is and I say it, this loving kindness is not in fact is the opposite of human love now really take that in because when we say God loves us we, we, we would tend obviously to think he loves us something like we love one another no God's love is covenant love human love although sometimes we see slivers of God love light in it but essentially human love and I dare I say more so at this point in the 21st century than we've seen in in hundreds of years um, human love is much more contractual see human love human love is a response to an external factor something out there and that something out there is the beauty the beauty of another person and so human love now responds to the beauty you could say because you are beautiful then I love you it's it's in that sense contractual uh, it's a response I say again human love responds to something out there that is beautiful and that beautiful excites and calls forth love in the beholder so human love is love of the lovely you get it it's love of that which is admired human love always reaches up it's got the up reach it reaches up to to the ideal the the most beautiful the most lovely the best of the best 
the highest of human beings. And human love is fueled, excited, and continues by that beloved continuing to be lovely, beautiful, highest of the high. Think about that. Really think about that, because that means if that other, the one that called forth love in the eyes of the beholder, if they become ugly, and if, if they do things that do not please the lover, then this whole thing begins to crumble and shatter away. Think about that. See, human love happens to us. We, we, we see the beauty, we see the loveliness, and as we do so, it's as if we are suddenly captured, and we are made captive to the beauty. The, be the beauty of the other person lays hold upon us and, and holds us. And, and that comes down into our language. Some, uh, what can I say, it's, it's kind of funny, really, when you think about what people say. But they say they, they fall in love, which strongly suggests an accident. You, you fail. You, you fall in love. But it's trying to say this, that it happened. It was, it was not in my daytimer that at three o'clock this afternoon I, I will meet the person that causes me to come into this zone of love. No, we were just going along our, our usual mundane day, and it happened. And so we, we fell. It, it, it happened to us. It came to us from the outside and grabbed a hold of us. Or, or the, the other um, phrase that people use, we were swept off our feet. Uh, you see, there were, along came this, this handsome man, this beautiful woman, and, and it, we, we didn't plan it, but we were swept off our feet, we say. Well, it, th those expressions are apt. They describe human love happening to us. I say again, it's a response. The human responds to the beauty, to the, the loveliness, to that which can be admired. And we call that love. That's human love. Or, could I say it another way? Human love aspires anyway to being romantic. And romantic is love of the perfect. It's love of the ideal. Romance. Romance, the, the sparkle in the eye that says, I, I am loving the most perfect person. A and the most perfect person is loving me. And of course, this love it's I, I call it pseudo love it's it's not real love but it, it's um whatever you want to call it it's in denial because it is blind to all the faults and potential disaster that might be in the other person no it's that's that's not even considered there's a, a, a chosen blindness the, this other person is the ideal and every time you are together the perfect happens uh, romance the you know the the 
violins playing in candlelight with the bluebirds twittering overhead. Yeah. And, and so you talk to such persons who are in the midst of that and they would describe the other in the relationship as perfect or the, you know, He's, he's all I've ever wanted in a man. He, he, he's everything that I, I, I want to be pleased with. I mean, he pleases me to the utmost. And, and she says he, he could never hurt me. He could never let me down. You see, he's the perfect. Never be unfaithful. Everything she says, she means. And every promise she makes, she'll keep. He, she adores me. Yeah. I, I, I know I sound like a, well, you know, rain on the 4th of July. But face it, that that's all denial because that's not true. It's absolutely not true. Walk up your block. It's not true. It fails, it crashes. We suddenly discover they're not bluebirds, they're baby vultures. And, and, and then the candles, you know, they sputter out and on come the neon lights and we find the tablecloth is all shredded and, and the meal wasn't what we thought and the violins are out of tune. And, and romance, it's human love. At least it's the ideal of, of human love. And in that context, human love, this romantic thing, is a charade. I mean, all this stuff that happens on the Internet, I, it's come along after my prime, but um, from what I gather, people portray themselves as... as uh, they're not. I mean, totally so. Um... I, I read once uh, uh, the write-up on this chap, and I knew him. But what he wrote there is nothing like he was. It, he was trying to portray himself as the highest, the best, and the most beautiful, the most admirable, you see. Uh, and in, in my day, it used to be a date night. Uh, and, and you know on the date night, uh, and you, you dress up in clothes you haven't worn since you went to Aunt Jemima's wedding, you know. And, and, and you put a curb on any bad habits you have, and you remember all the good manners, and you pull out the chair for the lady, and you bring roses, and... and all manner of things, and you're so thoughtful. It's date night. Well, you, you, it's an effort. You are seeking to appear. The truth is, appear is you're not really, not really. It's, it's yourself that you're dragging out of the closet to, to try and present yourself. The highest, the best, the most beautiful. And any ugly side of you, you make sure the, it's battered down and gagged and put in the basement. It's sort of, you're seeking to arrange the falling into love. You're trying to arrange the accident, you say. You're placing the banana peel so you'll be making sure he, she will be swept off their feet human love. Okay, enough said. Okay, anything 
that resembles or vaguely resembles what I've said, human love. God is not that. That is not God's love. That's all, if you took more time, that's all sort of based on contract. The other person has got to be the highest and best, and you've got to present yourself as the highest and best. And if these things are right, then a contract is made. God love is covenant love. It is not contract. Contract is the very opposite of God's love. Contract originated with the lies of the Garden of Eden. God does never say that because you are the highest and best and make fantastic promises that I know you'll keep, then I love you. No. God love is covenant love. And because covenant love, then his continual working with us in our life is loving kindness. Love that can never, ever cease, cannot. Covenant. It was the most solemn action. As far back as we go in the history of mankind, we find covenant of some way or another. And in every case, it was, I say, the most solemn, the most binding, the most irreversible actions of humans. And they shed blood. Whichever way the covenant was made, somewhere in there, there was the shedding of blood. And as I have traveled the world and preached to the most primitive peoples, I've always inquired concerning covenant, because the further you go back in what we Westerners say primitive, you will find these deep commitments that our shallow Westerners know nothing of. And inevitably they'll tell me about the way they make covenant. And I've seen it. They cut the tips of their fingers. They cut their hands. They they cut here to make the blood run. And as the blood runs with great intention, they deliberately cut in order to say, so I give my life to you. Even if my giving to you kills me, so I give myself to you covenant is solely for the other person. It's giving oneself. Solemn oath. Irreversible. In, in some languages of the earth, there is no word for broken covenant. In the Sioux language of the North American Indian, there is no word for broken covenant because they cannot imagine it. And then you understand the horrors of the white man who came and made so many covenants with the Indians in North America and then broke every covenant and left the Indians standing speechless because you can't do that. It doesn't happen. Covenant. And, and, and God revealed himself to us as the covenant God. And every covenant was ratified with that shedding of blood and the swearing an oath calling upon the God you worshipped to watch over this. And if you did not keep this, then God himself would intervene and slay you. Very solemn. But just a minute, when God made covenant and swore 
that he would love you and he would be for you and he would never forsake you and he would personally deal with your sin and shame and guilt and he would guarantee that he would bless you and bring you into relationship, union with himself. Uh, who did God swear by? You know, when humans swear, they call upon God. But when God swears, who does he swear by? The Bible makes a lot of that. That God swore by himself. That is, God said, if I do not do this, then God would cease to exist. He said that he would go all the way to death in order to achieve this relationship with us and to wipe out our sin and bring us into this world of his love. Do, do you understand? This can't fail, can it? You see, if you get humans involved, if if God made that covenant with humans, which you would expect him to do because the covenant is for us, but if he made that covenant with us, well, it's over before it starts. We, we couldn't keep its terms. We couldn't keep its even its spirit uh, uh, ten minutes after making the covenant. The Bible says we are weak through the flesh. That is, human is not made for that. It, it's not in us. The blueprint that we were made to conform to was that we receive all things in a union with God, not by being jolly good fellows. Um, do, do you understand now what the coming of Jesus meant. God the Father would enter into covenant with us, but we are incapable of a covenant with God. And so God the Son, the Father sends the Son. God became human. And lived a 100% human life in total dependence upon the Father. God became human and showed human what human is supposed to be, a helpless human in dynamic union with the Father. And then that human, genuine human, but who has never entered into the clutches of Satan, never believed his lies, only believed the Father, that human takes the place of a representative. He represents the entire human race. And of course he can, he's God, but of course he can, he's one of us, he's human. And he, as us, for us, our representative, gathering all of us into himself makes covenant and his blood is the blood of God 
God has gone where we are and it cost him his life. God came into our death and grabbed a hold of us and carried us out. And the Bible calls it covenant blood. God had sworn to do this and he swore to do it even if doing it would kill him and it did. God entered into the experience of our death and he rose out of death through the blood of the everlasting covenant says Hebrews 13 and he comes to the father carrying us with him and we are then given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is that covenant in now dynamic action or you could say the Holy Spirit is the loving kindness of God here and now working in the daily grind, working in the mundane moments of life, applying the love, applying the very fullness of all God's blessing. Loving kindness, God's covenant love, God's love that cannot fail. God's love that reaches to every human being. He, you see, God's love does not seek the highest, the best, the most beautiful, the most admirable. No, I see, God never falls in love. It isn't that, you know, he's having just an ordinary day and then he saw you and he saw you were praying more than your neighbor and reading your Bible more than most people in your church and, and his heart fluttered and he said, I love them. No, that's daft. That's not God. That's human contract. That's romance. Going to many churches, and it, it, it sounds like they're on a date with God. They're, 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 they're saying everything they think God would like them to say, and they promise to do this, and they promise to do that, and they never leave Him, and they're it's stupid. Turn up the lights. Realize this is just bluebird stuff. This is not real. God's love is not excited by all our silly promises. God's love is not looking for the most beautiful people. God's love is not in love with his love. God's love loves you because of who he is, and because of who he is, he wills to give himself to you, and has done so by the shedding of covenant blood, and has sworn by himself he will never leave, he will never forsake, he will never quit. He will bring you to fullest experience of relationship with him. So, you see, covenant is not subject to moods. It's not subject to feeling. There's covenant love is rooted in the will, the intention. You, you don't shed blood and swear that you will be for the other person even if it means death. You don't do that just because you feel good. You, you, you come to that after intention. It's, it's will. Out of that comes feelings that are rich and deep. But, but it's rooted in your will. God, God's love for you is, is not a mood. 
God's love doesn't fluctuate. God doesn't, you know, you don't pick the daisy. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. No, God's love is, period. God doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because that's the way he is. Stained with the covenant blood of Jesus, his promises, his, his person toward us, his love, is irreversible. It's unconditional. It is a commitment that already has gone to death and carried us through resurrection. It's unbreakable. It is sealed with the blood of God. Do you see what I'm saying? He knows the worst about you. He, there's no denial in God's love. He knows not only the worst that we've done, He knows the potential for our worst. And loves us. And is committed to us. And believes in His own love. That that love transforms us and out of this covenant love this loving kindness comes I will never leave you and I think it was what last week two weeks ago I, I, I quoted that from the amplified version I will not I will not I will not I will not under any circumstances I will never leave you I will never forsake you we don't have words in English to say what it actually says. Or what about uh, Jeremiah when he wrote Lamentations? He said, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. Great is your faithfulness. I can't talk enough about this. I mean... This is the divine intention about you. That's why it says all the promises of God, as many as they may be, they are yes. And our faith is joining with His faith in His own covenant. And we say, Amen. Yes, they are. Our God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit are more tenacious than a bulldog. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He's unrelenting. He pursues us to bestow upon us this relationship union practically, functionally to witness within our hearts that we are forgiven, we're accepted, we're the children of God and every blessing that Jesus Christ bought, received in the covenant. If you go through the Old Testament, especially on this word loving kindness, you will find that so often it is linked with doing and keeping. That is, it says he will do loving kindness. Or again, it would say something like uh, he, he keeps loving kindness. Why? Because, as I said, loving kindness is... It's, okay, there was the event in which covenant was made. Now, out of that 
comes loving kindness. How do we work this out? How does everything the one who has entered into covenant with me and given to me, now how does that giving work out in this and that and the other? Huh. You see, th- th- this, this is um, what we're dealing with, as I said, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is God with us today. God who has come into our lives to the nth degree, so much so that our very bodies are His temple. And He is now with us. Everything Jesus was to the disciples, now the Holy Spirit is that to us. He is love now. He is committed love here in the midst of life as I'm now living it. And we are partners in this. We are covenant partners. We are bound with something that cannot be broken. The Word of God, the covenant of God sealed in the blood of Jesus. And so, in in the, the most wonderful way, we are helpless. Get used to that. Snuggle down into it. We're helpless. We're helpless recipients. You're not on a date night with God. I want you to throw that whole idea out. This isn't a romantic charade where you're trying to hide your worst and remember all the good God spiritual words to say. You don't have to say, you know, if, if you do this, God, then I promise you I'll do that, you know. If you get me out of this, I'll serve you. For... God, that's contract. So much of that. When I used to travel the churches and didn't matter what I had preached, inevitably the pastor would have to call everybody forward. That's, that's what they have to do, I guess. And, um, and I would listen to the people and I wanted to scream, shut up, stop. Because what was being said, it was all so, it was all pretense. I say it was a date night. You're trying to give roses to God and convince Him that you're worth loving. And, you know, I promise you, I. Oh. Get used to being gloriously helpless. He loves me. He loves me. And I just, I, I'm here to receive his love and, and, and with speechless wonder and joy that is unspeakable, I respond with thanks and praise. Look, the closest we get to this in our human world is a baby. A baby in, in a normal home where love the love of parent, the love of mother, delights in the child to the point where mother will just gaze into the face of the child and the child probably not seeing too well at that age but looking back into the face. And, and, and it's sheer delight, it's sheer love. The baby has nothing to contribute except it's there. In fact, its contribution is hardly a delightful repayment for love. No, the, the, the baby is just simply there and 24-7, literally, it's provided for and provided for. 
It is a love that is solely for the child with no actual return to the parent except the delight in itself is the return. And so the baby is fed, the baby is clothed, the baby is cleaned, baby is held, baby is sung to, baby is assured of love. It's all giving, giving, giving. And it's unconditional. The baby is not presented at around 10 or 11 years old and told, well, here's the bill for everything I've done for you since you were born. No, it was total, unconditional, 300% gift giving. Dare you step into that? Because that's what the Christian life is. Stepping into the receiving of God's love and that love, even as the love of the parent actually calls forth the growth of the child. You know, you've heard it. If the child isn't touched, if the child isn't loved and held, it will die. Amazing. We, we, we were birthed in love and we are nurtured in love. And as you understand the love of God, receive the love of God, you will grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, not the threat of hell. God's love, God's goodness changes our mind. God's goodness becomes the foundation of our faith. The only real temptation that we have, I mean, there are many... Uh, or shall I say presentation temptations but underneath those there's only one temptation and that is that the continual nag of Satan the accuser to go to contract go to contract you've got to earn this you've got to perform you've got to deserve he what the flesh, which is always in cahoots with performance and the law, and therefore ultimately in cahoots with Satan, um, it has this terrible fear of total dependence, of just abandon to the love of God. We're terrified of that. I mean, naturally speaking, terrified of it. We want contract. We feel much, much happy with contract. I promised God I would do this. I promised God I'd do that. Um, and, and as soon as you do, you, you're, you're missing it. You're, you're, you're going off in the opposite direction. No, this is the only basis for our knowing God. It's our only basis for being in this incredible relationship. It's the only basis for the knowing that I know that sin is no longer an issue in life. It's been forgiven. And it's the, this loving kindness is the basis of the fact that we no longer walk in the ways of sin. Loving kindness is the basis of prayer. Uh, I dare to speak, I dare to ask without groveling and whining, pleading. No, no, I come boldly, it says. I ask, why? Because I dare to believe loving kindness. Look at it. 
Peter, do you remember Peter? Stood up there in front of all the disciples and made an absolute fool of himself. You know, he, he said, all of these, they, they will, these my best buddies, I, but I know them. They're all going to leave you, forsake you, but I won't, I won't. And of course, he's the one that made the biggest denial, curse, blaspheme, said, I never know him, never knew him. Jesus never stopped loving him. You would think he would be on at least a six-month probationary period after. No, he wasn't. As soon as Jesus rose from the dead, which was only a few hours after Peter's denial, do you remember Jesus said, go and tell my disciples that I am risen, and don't forget to tell Peter. Remember that? It's in the Gospels. Go and tell my disciples and Peter because Peter will think he, he's not one of my disciples anymore. Well, he is. I haven't stopped loving him. The prodigal father running down the road to embrace that child that has dragged his name in the mud and now is before him as a scarecrow of a man. And he hugs him and he says, you are my son. When the the kid had come home with this list of things, I'm going to do it and I'm going to prove to you and the father just threw it away and says, you're my son put the best robe on him and so on and it was this this unconditional acceptance of the ugly and the broken and the deformed that's why the elder brother flew into a rage and divorced himself from the family. Satan hates this. Religion is scandalized and disgusted by it. But it's called the gospel. David, after his most heinous, most disgusting story in the Old Testament, you remember... David Bathsheba and she's having a baby now and so David calls the husband and arranges the murder of the husband it's like a mafia setup and then when the Holy Spirit gets through to David David's response in Psalm 51 be gracious to me O God according to your loving kindness according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. See, David didn't appeal and say, I promise you, God, I'm going to try and be better. He just, no, here I am. This is what I did. Now, not according to my promises or anything I'd say, but according to who you are, according to your loving kindness. Not according to me, but according to the greatness of your compassion fact is in front of standing in front of this loving kindness we're we're speechless you do realize something you can't make god love you because he does to a degree that is beyond all human language actually and you can't stop him loving you i know you think that if you do some little thing i i you know, I, I talking to someone just a little while, and they were in absolute 
guilt. I mean, the poor people, they came from one of those terribly legalistic churches and uh, and, and they'd had a cigarette and they said, now God, I'm, I'm backslidden, God doesn't love me. I mean, who do you think you are? What arrogance that you you can smoke a cigarette and God will stop loving you. You change the very nature of God by some little action. Uh, please. Please understand who he is. Understand what he's done and why he is the way he is towards you. And recognize you cannot make him love you. You can't stop him loving you because he is love because that's the way he is. It never was a response to your bringing roses to the date. He loves you. Period. That's it. That's the foundation of repentance. Why is it that people go forward every week in some churches trying to get saved? Right? I mean, have another go, chap. Have another go. Try it again. Forward you go. Try and weep more. And, and if you're not coming forward, we'll preach on hell, damnation, judgment, and we'll make you scared until you come running. Where's that in the Bible? I challenge you, where is it? The scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's seeing love like this that changes your mind, that calls forth faith, and you believe with the faith of God in his own faith, in his, his finished work in Jesus. Repentance and faith, if they're going to stay, are rooted in God's loving kindness. And they do not have promises of what you're going to do, but you rest in the promises of what he said he would do. Never forget that. When I was, I don't know when, way back in my teenage, and I was just beginning to see this stuff. And, and you know you get used to it when the appeal and everybody goes forward to find something to weep over because... A Christian is supposed to say, I'm unworthy, I'm no good, and that, that's sort of being spiritual. And, and so we, we tried our best. We always envied the girls because they could cry more than the chaps. And, and um, then, then I, I, I got this, or just a sliver. It was just beginning. I was beginning to see it, it's not what I promise. It's not what I say I will do. It's what he, who he is, what he's promised, and what he's done. And I remember it came around, and here comes the appeal, and we're all going to try and get saved properly, and if we are saved, well, I'm sure we're backslidden, and if we're not backslidden, there's something we're holding... Everybody goes forward, and I just sat there, and I smiled back at the preacher. And then finally, I got up, and I sauntered down to the front, and I knelt, and I said, Father, I will never make a promise to you again, but I will rest in the promises you have made to me. And then with a smile from ear to ear, I got up and I went back to my seat. It's not my promises. It's not my performance. It's not my facade. 
It's not that mask I put on. It's me. Plain me. Me broken. Me just as I am. And he loves me. And I believe it and I respond and that's how I go through life. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That's our foundation. That's it. We're speechless. Never get over that. And it says satisfy. Dear Lord, look at the time. Very quickly, satisfy. That word satisfy is a, a food word. Yeah. Right there in the middle of all this who have just been talking about. It's a food word. It's a word you would use at Thanksgiving or some special event when you push the plate away and say, I, I can't eat another thing. It, it, it's, um, I suppose, uh, vernacularly, I'm, I'm stuffed. I, I just can't. I can't have anything else. Um, it could be translated glut or glutton. It, it means satiate, soaked. Um, or it, it's what the, in the prodigal son, it, it says the servants have enough and to spare. I, interesting. Because every covenant always ends, comes to its finale in a covenant meal. Interesting. So that everything they have just said is now made very physical in eating a piece of bread and a cup of wine, which said, I, I am eating of you and you are eating of me. Interesting. But it, it says that we are to be glutted. We, we're to be satiated. We are to be satisfied with loving kindness. We are to make a feast. We are to eat of the very love of God. Notice those words, because one would expect in, in today's world that we should study the love of God and really get, you know, but no studies to do with your brain. There's a time for that. But in this context, studying would be like reading the menu while you're starving hungry. Yeah, there's a time for reading the menu, but this is talking about eating until you can eat no more. And eating is to engage with the food itself, not words about it. Eating is to partake of the food, to participate in what the food is, and to satisfy hunger. And what happens? But the food actually becomes you. Uh, I mean, yeah, it can be seen in putting on weight, but... Um, what you eat affects your emotions. After eating some things, you can be plunged into despair and depression. After eating other things, you feel light and, and glad. Uh, certainly what you eat is going to affect how you're able to think and remember and clarity, as well as the food very obviously becomes the cells of your body. To, to eat means you won with the meal. Well, do I have to... I think that... We actually won with the love of God. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our heart so that 
it's not about Jesus. It's not about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's rather for me to live is Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ who is our life. I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. And Jesus said, speaking of the Father and the Spirit and himself, he says, we, the Holy Three, will come and make our abode, our dwelling, our home, our house inside of you. No wonder Ephesians 3 speaks of being filled with the fullness of God. Well, I pray, have prayed, do believe that our being together today, tonight, has actually been more than something that um, came into your mind. You know, this, I, I trust I have not addressed your brain only that this would be a meal whereby the Holy Spirit has fed your innermost being with the love that God is and has toward you. That will indeed get inside your emotions so as the text goes on to say you will rejoice and be glad all the days of your life. It certainly will get inside your mind and there will be a repentance, a re-change. Re uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, 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 a, a total change of mind. You begin to see who God really is and therefore you'll see who you really are and you'll see what's really going on around you because you now see within the love of God you've eaten. It has become your very muscle and sinew of your, your being well there it is as I say we hardly got started on that but I think we got the best of it and so let the Holy Spirit feed this into your innermost being one, one last thing it, it says oh satisfies early a better translation of that would be satisfies in the morning. It means early in the day. In the morning, that is, wake up to this. This is your breakfast. Wake up and let the Holy Spirit feed you today. That's loving kindness. This isn't saying 40 years ago I got a grip of grace. No, grace, this utter giving of God is new every morning, new new loving kindnesses, new insights, new ways of discovering, new applications of God's love to your life. So, get out of bed realizing the loving kindness of God. Take your shower, clean your teeth, knowing that you are in the love and the mercy and the grace, the loving kindness of God. And now the blessing of God, huh, almighty love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may He bless you in the opening of your eyes, the opening of your heart, 
to receive his love that presses upon you, seeking entrance, that in him you might live and move and have your being and delight in him all the days of your life. So I bless you this night, and so it is.